Well, welcome to Harvest. We're so glad that you're here. My name is Johnny Pereira. If you're new with us, I'm the lead pastor here, and uh, it's a privilege to be able to say that, and we're so glad you're here. I'm curious. I know um, I had to go a totally different way to get here this morning um, from where I live because of the trees down, and it seemed like every place I turned, there was another down tree. So uh, how many of you got ready without power this morning? Can I see your hands? No one. All right, that makes sense why there's an empty, vast chasm in the middle, uh, because nobody wanted to take a cold shower this morning. But man, we're glad that you're here today, and uh, glad that you came to church this morning and to hear from God's Word. And man, what a great, what a great new song that is that Gray and Crystal wrote, and just, just to remind us. Uh, that the Lord's Word is the best Word. It's the better Word. It's better than anything I would say. It's better than anything your spouse would say. It's better than anything that your friend would say. Um, That God's Word is the place that we go to uh, when we are at highs and when we are at lows. Uh, So let me invite you to turn in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 2. We're going to look at verses 1 through 11. If you are new with us, we're in this series that we've entitled Anchored. We're walking through the book of Philippians verse by verse, chapter by chapter, really, really with this lens and asking this question. How do you and I experience stability in the midst of rough waters? And we use that term rough waters to speak of the difficult circumstances that we experience in life, the tragedies that we may experience in life, the the problems that we may experience in life. So how do we walk through those things and not allow those things to actually cause us to lose our equilibrium and our stability in our walk with Jesus Christ as followers of Jesus Christ. And Philippians, more than any other book, deals with experiencing joy in the midst of difficulties. Over 16 times, Paul refers to joy in this book. Paul's writing this book, if you're new with us. We mentioned this at the beginning of our series. He's writing this book while he's in in a Roman prison for the first time. Paul's not experiencing great circumstances when he writes this Book And so as we've been walking chapter by chapter, closing out the first chapter last week, really answering that question, how does God's word exhort us, encourage us, challenge us, maybe even convict us of where we need to be looking for stability in the midst of rough waters? Because we've said this, it's true of life. Either you're in rough waters right now, you just came out of some rough waters, and and I don't mean this to be a pessimistic viewpoint, but you will experience and I will experience rough waters in the future. But praise God, God's word has the answers on how we deal with those, right? And so we're in Philippians 2, verses 1 through 11, as I mentioned. And really, as we read this passage of scripture, what we're going to see is it's really continuing the idea that we looked at last week. Remember in verse one, or chapter 1, verse 27, you can put your eyes a little bit up above chapter 2 in your Bibles where Paul talks about live in a manner, in such a way, in a manner worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we talked, with that, we talked about what that meant, that my life, the way that I live my life, ought to display how much worth I'm placing in what Jesus Christ has accomplished on my behalf. And so Paul's going to continue now in chapter 2 of Philippians on how we do that. How do we live a life? How do we walk 
with the Lord in such a way that our lives actually declare and demonstrate the worth that we have in our Lord Jesus Christ and what he has accomplished for us. And here's the things about Philippians too, because if you've been in church at any length of time, probably the two most well-known passages of scripture in Philippians are Philippians 2, 1 through 11, what we're going to look at this morning, and probably Philippians 4, 6, and 7, that says, don't be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. You're like, oh yeah, that passage. Maybe you didn't know the reference. These two passages of scripture are probably the most well-known in this book, and we're looking at one of those this morning. And here's the thing about Philippians 2. It's one of those passages of scripture that doesn't beat around the bush. It goes straight to the heart like a knife. Like, we're going to read Philippians chapter 2, and I don't think there's ever been a time in my life, and I hope this is true of you as well, where you've read Philippians 2, and you're like, I got that. We're good. Yeah, man. Like, I'm batting a thousand in that. And Hebrews 4 talks about how the word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword. It pierces to the heart, discerning our thoughts and our heart, and this is this type of scripture this morning. So are you ready to read it? All right, let's look, in, let's look in God's word this morning in Philippians 2, 1 through 11. I love the phrase that Gray mentioned uh, before we read it. I just, just thought of this. We say this, and I've said this at other places that I've pastored, and I want it to be a phrase that's just like, that's just a harvest phrase. You have those phrases at home? Like, that's just something our family says. We get it. Not everybody else gets it. This is one of these phrases that I want it to be a harvest phrase. When God's word is open, His mouth is open. And we're going to hear what God desires for you and for me this morning. Look at verse 1. So, remember he's continuing this idea of walking in a manner worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So, if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy... Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and having and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you not look only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus." Who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself, becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him, and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now after we read that, you know what we can do? Let's just pray and let's, let's go home because you ought to already be feeling convicted. Now we're not going to do that. But this is one of those passages of Scripture in Philippians 2. Like I said, man, it's going straight to the heart. So here's the title of the message this morning, and I hope that you're taking notes on that Connect card that you got when you walked in the doors this morning. Here it is. Here's the title. Humility is a verb. It's a verb. Humility 
is a verb. And here's the idea that I want you to get this morning as we now kind of dissect this passage of Scripture that's well known to many of us. And for some of us, what we need to do is we need to be disciplined this morning and say, let me look at this passage of Scripture with fresh eyes. Let me pray that the Lord would give me fresh eyes to examine my life and place it before this passage of Scripture. Because here's the idea I want us to get this morning, that stability, remember we're talking about how do I find stability in rough waters? Stability is experienced when humility is exercised. Stability is experienced when humility is exercised. So if you're in this crowd this morning, and if you're experiencing rough waters right now, let me first of all say I'm so glad that you're here. And my greatest prayer for you is that God's word just minister to you in the midst of these rough waters. But I want you to think about those right now. And I want you to ask yourself this question. Am I exercising humility in the situation that I'm experiencing right now? So I look at my life and the rough waters that I'm experiencing. Am I demonstrating humility? And you're like, well, I'm not sure how to answer that question because I don't know what you mean by humility. Well, that's a great posture to be at this morning if that's you because we're going to literally look at what humility is this morning because here's what i think we need to remind ourselves of that humility is the means by which unity and stability are experienced in all relationships every relationship that you had whether it's with god if you're married whether it's with your spouse if you have a boyfriend or girlfriend, whether it's in that relationship, a fiancé, in that relationship, in a work relationship, in a friendship, whatever it is, humility is the means by which unity and stability are experienced in those relationships. Because spirits, true spiritual unity comes from the heart. It's motivated from the heart. Here's what we mean. We're not after uniformity, right? Uniformity is this. It's, it's the result of pressure from without, right? So some of you have been coming to church and you're like, man, I, I've heard this. I'm supposed to do this. My boss is telling me this is how I experience cohesiveness at work. And everyone's on you telling you, do this, do this, do this. And so you're trying to conform to what someone else is telling you to do. But the reality is, is you're really never going to experience that unity. You're never going to exercise humility. Why? Because it's not coming from the heart. It's something that's being put on you. And look at what Paul says. The reason why I say that is look at what Paul says again in verses 1 and 2. These are first-class conditional statements. In other words, if this is true, then this. That's what we mean by first-class conditional statements. So look at what he does. He says, if there's any encouragement in Christ, what he's telling the church at Philippi is he's like, have you not experienced encouragement in Jesus Christ? Have we not mentioned that in chapter 1? Have you not seen encouragement and knowing that it doesn't matter what you've done or how sinful you are, that, that all levels are, are, are the same at the foot of the cross, that Jesus accepts you for who you are? He died for your sin. Is there not encouragement in that? Have you not experienced encouragement in Jesus Christ as you've been walking with him? So he's saying here, re reminding them, if you've experienced encouragement in Jesus Christ and you have, then what? 
Then he goes and look what he continues. Have you not experienced comfort from Christ's love? Have you not experienced that? Have you not experienced participation in the Spirit? Have you not seen the Holy Spirit give you the power and the strength to live a life in such a way that shows that you are, have worth in the gospel of Jesus Christ? Have you not seen the power of the Holy Spirit in your life? Have you not experienced affection and sympathy? So Paul's point is in here is, wait a minute, you all can say yes to that. So if that's the case, what does he say in verse 2? Complete my joy. Like, let me be so joyful to see what Jesus, through the power of the Holy Spirit, is doing in you. Complete my joy by being what? By being of the same mind as the idea of the same values. And we're dropping our personal opinions. No, no, no. We're on, we're on the same team. We're brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ. We have the same mind. We have the same purpose, remember? To declare and demonstrate the gospel of Jesus Christ and its power working through us. No, no. One mind. Then he says having the same love. Like the love that you've experienced from Jesus Christ and the love that you've experienced from Jesus Christ and the love that you've experienced from Jesus Christ. We all have the same love. So we don't need to be demonstrating it in a way that doesn't contradict the love that we've received. And then he says, being in full accord and of one mind. In other words, we're working together, not in opposition. See, that's a byproduct of humility being exercised. Because what did we say? Stability is experienced when humility is exercised. And I experience stability and unity in all of my relationships, my relationship with the Lord. I experience stability in my relationship with the Lord when I'm exercising humility. See, here's what humility is not. I think, I think our idea of humility is skewed today. Here's what humility is not. Humility is not you walking around saying this. Man, I just stink. Oh, I'm terrible. That's not humility. Humility is not, man, I'm so lousy at this. Let me tell you all the things that I'm horrible at. Like you, you meet someone, hey, can I just tell you all the things that I'm terrible at? Like if someone told me that, I'd be like, man, this per person needs some serious help. Let's set up a time to meet. I'm not, that's not, not what humility means. Humility is not self-deprecation, okay? Let's get that clear. That's not what humility is. Get this, write this down. Humility is a do thing. It's an action. It's a mindset that leads to an action. You know what's interesting? I've never taken a spiritual gift test and one of the choices has been humility. I've never met anybody and I'm like, hey, what do you think God has gifted you with? And they're like, you know what God's gifted me with? He's gifted me with the gift of humility. Never met a person like that. You may have thought that, but I've never met a person like that. Humility is not this aura. Man, they just have this aura about them that's so humble. Humility is not a personality. And you're like, man, that guy's so loud and that guy's so obnoxious and he's such an extrovert. Man, he's probably kind of prideful. You know people like that? You're like, yeah, I'm listening to one, right? And then we find other people like, man, they're so introverted. They're so quiet. Like they never say anything. They just walk around like this. They're so humble. And here's what I've found. Humility is not a personality. Because sometimes the most introverted people, the people that are the quietness, man, they are judging all day long in their mind. It's just not coming out of their mouth right at the moment like us extroverts who process everything out loud. 
And the reality is, is humility is not defined by a personality. It's not an aura. It's not a gift. It's a mindset that leads to an action. C.S. Lewis, many of us know him. Chronicles of Narnia. He writes, he's written so many great things. I've never read anything that I didn't like that C.S. Lewis wrote. And he says in his book, Mere Christianity, which is a very famous work that he wrote, he says this about humility. Humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. Isn't that good? So what I want to do this morning in this passage of Scripture is I want to give you three characteristics of humility in action. Let's look at what humility actually does. Remember, it's a do thing. Yes, it's a mindset, but it leads to an action. So the way that I know I'm exercising humility is looking at how am I acting? How am I acting in my relationships? Is there unity there? Am I experiencing stability there? Here's the first action of humility, and it's found. We read it at the beginning of verse 3, and we're going to see the example in verses 5 through 7, but here's the first characteristic. Number one, humility is saying no to a false promotion of myself. That's humility. Humility is an action, remember? And I'm saying no to a false promotion promotion of myself here's why i say that look at verse beginning of verse three again what does paul say do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit now let's define a couple words here so that we can understand what paul is meaning here here's what selfish ambition means it's literally this kind of posture that no cost is too high to get what i believe i deserve selfish ambition no cost is too high No person is too big for me to climb over to get what I believe I deserve. Here's the word for conceit. It literally means this, empty glory. That's the word of conceit. It's a falsely elevated opinion of myself. And when I look at this passage of Scripture that Paul clearly gives us on defining what humility is, I look at this and I'm like, one of the first actions that I see of humility in this passage of Scripture is what I just stated, but I'm going to say it again. Humility is saying no to a false promotion of myself. And here's what we need to understand. Selfish ambition and conceit are always married to one another. They're never going to have a divorce. They're never going to split up. Where you have selfish ambition, you also have conceit. They always go together. And self-promotion, that's something you struggle with. And that's everybody in this room, including the guy on stage. Self-promotion always leads to a demotion of others. Always. Always. James 3.16 talks about selfish ambition. He says where selfish ambitions exist, there's disorder in every vile practice. And he actually describes earthly wisdom as being driven by selfish ambition and jealousy, and he actually calls it demonic. We walked through James this past year. So when I'm consumed with self-promotion, it always leads to the demotion of other word, others. So here's what I want to do. I'm actually going to ask you to raise your hand because if you raise your hand to this, then you're probably already postured this way. 
Anybody thinking they don't have a pride problem today? Anybody? I got no pride problem today. Please raise your hand so the rest of us can. I was going to say judge, but just pray for you. We all have a pride problem. Every single one of us. So I want to ask some questions here, and I want you to answer this from the first part of verse 3. So this is participation time, all right? So answer this from the first part of verse 3 and what Paul says. So what good does it do you to be thinking about what others say about you and how you can do more things so that they will think better about you? What good does that do? Starts with an N. What good does that do? What good does that do? Some of you are still struggling with pride. What good does that do? Nothing. Thank you. Thank you. What good is it for you to do things out of motives that people will think you're so much better than others? What good does that do you? What good does that do you? I'm going to keep doing this. What good does that do you? Okay, thank you. Thank you. Maybe the third one will do better. What good is it for you to display kindness and generosity to someone only to get something from them? Thank you. Thank you. Last one. What good is it for you to be defining yourself by what you can achieve and accumulate? Nothing. Nothing. Listen to this. When you are living your life, and when I'm living my life with me at the center, I am aiming at something and for something that will bring nothing of stability or contentment, but only misery. Only misery. Selfish ambition and conceit are monsters whose appetites can never be satisfied. Don't we live in a culture where this just feeds it? So like, man, I don't have a Facebook account, I don't have a social media account. Okay, you just feed it in other ways. But man, where it's like, especially the, especially the younger generation, man, it's, it's all about Instagram, how many likes did I get? How many followers did I get? Facebook, man, I posted that thing and I said happy birthday to her and she didn't like my comment. What's her deal? Man, I gave him a compliment and he didn't respond back and compliment my post. What's the deal? And we're consumer looking online all the time. How many followers did I get? How many likes did I get? Promotion, promotion, promotion. Let's make my life look better than it actually looks. And if there was ever a day that we struggle more with this, I'm not sure what day it is. But what I look in God's word and Paul says, do nothing, here's what that means. Nothing. Nothing that's driven by selfish ambition and conceit, a false promotion of myself will lead to anything good in any of my relationships with God, with my spouse, with my friends, with my whatever, in the workplace, wherever it is. No, no, no. God's word says do nothing. And humility says no to a false promotion of myself. Me thinking I'm better than I really am. Some of you are like, Johnny, seriously? Like, anything that I do 
to just puff myself up, puff my balloon up, anything will lead to misery? What does it say? Do nothing. Yes. You're like, everything that I do to bless others and to put others above myself, that that's where I will receive just joy and satisfaction? Like, that's where it's found? Not the false promotion of myself? Yes. It's what God's Word says. And listen to me, this is the opposite of what your heart and my heart tells me. It's the complete opposite. Is it not? Absolute opposite. See, what we're told is the way that I get ahead is to false promote myself. The way that I get ahead is to throw a parade for myself every day. The way that I get ahead is that when I don't get the accolades for the things that I've done, that I'm raising Cain. But when I look at this passage of Scripture, and you look at it, it says, do nothing. Just look to the person next to you and say those two words. Say it. Do nothing out of selfish ambition and conceit. So we're like, man, I'm happy to do nothing. Out of selfish ambition and conceit. So here's what I want you to see. What's the answer? What's the answer? If I'm struggling this morning in this false promotion of myself and being driven all the time by what other people think of me, And I'm totally consumed by that. What more can I do so this person will give me a compliment? What more can I do so that this will be recognized, this false promotion on myself? If you struggle with that, what's the answer? And aren't you glad God's word has the answers? It's found in verses 5 through 7. where We see the answers where Paul says, Have this mind among yourselves which is yours in Christ Jesus. Jesus, this is how you combat it, is have the same mindset that's yours in Christ Jesus. Notice that Paul doesn't say, go get this mindset. Hey, you got to go find it. Got to go meet with this person. Got to go find it. No, he doesn't say that, does it? You know why? Because you already have it if you're a follower of Jesus Christ. You have this mindset. It's just submitting yourself to it. It's exercising humility and seeing yourself the way that you need to see yourself rather than a false promotion of yourself. You have this mindset as a follower of Jesus Christ. And when I submit to this mindset, here's what I'm doing. I'm taking the spotlight off myself and I'm putting it on Jesus. Look at what he says. How did... Jesus exercised humility. The answer is in verse 6, these phrases, and I want to touch on them. Paul says this about Jesus, who being in the form of God. Here's what that literally means. The NIV translates it really well. I'm reading out of the ESV. The NIV translates this really well. It says, who is in very nature God. So Jesus wasn't like God. He wasn't hanging around with God. He was very God of God. That's who he was. All God in human flesh. Second person of the Trinity. He was in being in the form of God. He was God. There's a lot of stuff out there that misinterprets this passage of Scripture. So here's why I'm taking time on this. Then they have this phrase, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Here's what I love, love about this phrase. 
That's basically saying Jesus knew who he was. He didn't need to throw some parade. He didn't need to pump himself up. He knew who he was. He didn't have to grasp at something and say, man, I need to always prove to everybody who I am. Though he did through miracles and and, and did in other ways, but it wasn't this motivation out of, I need to promote myself. Think about the temptation of Jesus Christ in Matthew 4. What does the enemy, what does Satan do? He tempts Jesus with this false motivation. But Jesus says, no, 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 I don't, I don't need to grasp. I understand who I am. I'm secure in who I am. Then there's this phrase, he emptied himself. So the question is, when I read this passage of Scripture, if you're the first time reading this passage of Scripture, you haven't read it in a long time, you're like, what did, what did he empty himself of? Because we could have some problems here. What did he empty himself of? You said he was God of very God. And there's some who would suggest that Jesus emptied himself of his deity. He no longer was God when he came to this earth. That he literally became just a Jewish man like all the other Jewish men in that day. There was no God, just man. But see, if someone takes that interpretation, they don't understand what that means. Because the Bible clearly teaches the incarnation of Christ. 100% God, 100% man, though we'll never understand that. Here's a big theological term that you can sink your teeth into later. Hypostatic union. 100% God, 100% man. But did you notice how Paul defines how he emptied himself? Like God's word doesn't leave any confusion of what he means. How did he empty himself? Look at what it says. Verse 7, he took on the form of a servant and being born in the likeness of men. Here's how he emptied himself. He became a servant for you. He became a servant for me. He said, I'm going to leave my throne in heaven and I'm going to live for mankind and do what they can't do and live perfection and die on the cross and raise myself from the dead. I'm going to take on the form of a servant. I'm going to wash humanity's feet that I made. I'm going to serve others with my life. That's how he emptied himself. It says he was born in the likeness of men. He held back some of his divine attributes. He could have walked around and instead of telling the disciples to go to go fish in a pond or in a sea, sorry, in a sea of Galilee, he could have said, you know what, I'm just going to make fish appear right here on the shore. But he didn't do that. He held back some of his power. He could have called 10,000 angels on the cross and wiped out humanity, but he didn't. What did he do? He emptied himself. He held himself back. He was born in the likeness of men so that he could experience what you could experience, so that you could have hope today, knowing that you have a Savior who loves you and actually knows what it's like to go through what you are going through. And man, when I put what Jesus Christ has done, that being in the form of God did not count equality a thing of God to be grasped, but he emptied himself. Man, I look at that when I'm struggling with false promotion of myself, and I'm like, God, I got nothing to say other than I'm sorry. I'm sorry for thinking that I'm something that I'm not when I think about who you are and what you did for me. See, there's no way that I can empty myself without the power of the Holy Spirit. 
See, when I look at this passage of Scripture, and I look at what Jesus emptied himself, and who am I to hold on to my pride and hold on to my false promotion of myself? Wait a minute, I need to empty myself. And the way that I do that, we mentioned this last week, is to be in God's word every day to remind myself that, God, I live for you, not for me. It's what your word says. God, I need your direction for life. God, every day I'm going to pour my heart out to you in prayer. I'm not going to be self-sufficient and self-dependent and self-reliant. No, 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 Lord. I'm going to pour my heart out to you in what I need you to intervene in and the power of the Holy Spirit that I need every day. See, Lord, I just don't need your direction. I need your intervention in my life. So I say no to the false promotion of self, and I say yes to you. It's the first action of humility. Here's the second one, and it's found in the second part of verse 3. Humility is surrendering my rights for the benefits of others. That's an action of humility. It says, but in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you not only look to, the in, to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Here's something you need to understand about the culture, the Roman culture there in Philippi. Humility was a trait that was despised. Like nobody was instructing other people, you need to strive for humility. That was actually looked down upon. Rome was a very prideful society. No, 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 it is about the promotion of self. It is about who we are. It is about what we've accomplished. Humility was not even something that they would even hint at being something to strive for. But here's what it is. It's one of the main qualities of a child of God. It's one of the main qualities the Lord wants to work in you and work in me. Because humility is the means, what did we say, to experience unity and stability in all my relationships. See, we're so driven by a culture of my rights, right? It's about my rights. Someone's infringing upon my rights. And I look at this passage of Scripture and I don't see that thought at all in here. I was like, no, 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 count others more significant yourself. Let each of you look not only to his interest, but also to the interest of others. And the way that I do that is by having a proper self-awareness of who I am. So easy to get off on that and not having a proper self-awareness of who I am. But the only way that that happens is what did I say? By saying, God, I need to be in your word every day. I need your direction. God, I need to be on my knees every day. I need your intervention. God, I need to remind myself of who I am and who I am not and who you are so that I will exercise this surrendering my rights for the benefit of others. It's interesting, this conductor was asked of a symphony, what's the most difficult instrument to play? Love his answer. He responded, second violin. He says, I can find plenty of first violinists, but to find someone who can play second violin with enthusiasm, that is a problem. And if we don't have a second violin, then we have no harmony. It's hard to play second violin. It's hard to say, wait, 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 but I deserve this. And the Holy Spirit through Paul says, no, 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 no. But in humility, count others more significant than yourself. Don't look only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. And here's the deal. 
Man, I had to study this passage of Scripture all week. You don't think that God just put me on my face? Some of us are saying right now, I can't do this, Johnny. You don't know what's going on right now. I can't do this. But what I've found is this, that what breaks down the walls of selfishness into acts of selflessness is looking into the face of Jesus. It's looking to what he did for me. Look at what it says in verse 8. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Listen to me. Listen, hear me on this. All selfish agendas are dropped when we stand before the cross of Jesus Christ. Nobody goes to God's Word and says, I'm bringing all my selfish agendas. When they're looking at Jesus and what He's accomplished for them. Now we can come to God's Word. We can come on a Sunday morning. We can bring all our selfish agendas and say, man, I hope God's going to do this. I'm here in this seat right now because I got want God to do X. But you can't look into the face of Jesus and have that posture. You can't remind yourself of what Jesus Christ has done for you and how he exemplified to perfection humility for you and have those selfish agenda. They fall out of your hands. Out of conviction. And here's what I love about this passage of Scripture. It's easy for us to say, well, let's look at how Paul exemplified joy. And easy to fall into the posture of, let's look to Paul as our example of what that looks like. But listen to me, what I love about this passage of Scripture is Paul once again even exercises humility. He could have said, hey guys, look at how I'm living my life in a prison. But he doesn't say that. He says, you know what? Here's how we understand humility. We look to one person, and that is Jesus Christ. He's our example of humility. He exemplifies what it looks like to lay down his rights for your benefit and for mine. Being found in human form. It's very similar to that phrase, being born in the likeness of men. It's this idea that the eternal God who dwelled in unapproachable glory embraced humiliation of humanity. Like Jesus, the person that spoke the universe into existence. The King of kings and Lord of lords puts on human flesh and is born in a stable as a baby. Submitted his life to grow up into a man. To know what it's like to be hungry. To know what it's like to feel pain. To know what it's like to be tired. To know what it's like to be betrayed. To know what it's like to experience joy, to know what it's like to experience sadness. And he did that all for you. And he did that all for me. He just didn't die on the cross to save me from my sins. He lived a perfect life so that I would know how to live in humility. He was being born in human form. Why? So that he could live a perfect life, so that he could die on the cross for your sins, so that he could be your sin. So you might be called the righteousness of Christ. That's 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And listen to me, what I want us to understand this morning is that nothing is more rewarding and nothing brings more joy 
than to actually live our lives saying, I'm going to say no to me, and I'm going to allow and say yes to God and allow me to make a difference in someone else's life. I'm not going to be consumed with me. I'm going to be consumed with embracing my purpose and saying, God, I want you to use me. And the way that we're used by God is exercising humility, saying no to the false promotion of myself, say, surrendering my rights to the benefits of others. And here's the third thing, and we're done in verses 9 through 11. I mean, this is a doxology. Here's the third action. Humility is seeing the reward being greater than the sacrifice. It's hard to exercise humility and not see the results right away, isn't it? It's hard. Okay. I'm not getting recognized for the job that I'm doing. I'm not getting praise for what I've done. I'm, no one's seeing that I did this or I did that. Okay, I'm supposed to exercise humility. Wait a minute. Remember what we said? Uniformity is doing something from being pressured from without. No, 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 we're about from the heart. Wait a minute, Lord, let me remind myself of what you've done for me. Who am I to be driven by a false promotion of myself? Who am I to be concerned more with me and my rights? Oh God, let me remind myself of the reward being greater than even the sacrifice that I'm experiencing right now. Look at, you see verses 9 through 11, do you see this doxology? Because here's the reality, I can only see the reward of humility being greater than the sacrifice when I am looking to Jesus. Never when I'm looking to myself, never when I'm looking to my agenda, never when I'm looking to my goals, my ambitions, my rights, my hurts, my disappointments. What does Hebrews 12 to say? Looking to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is now seated at the right hand of the Father. Jesus showed us what it's like to see the reward being greater than the sacrifice. And some of us need to be reminded of our purpose again. Purpose isn't me. Purpose isn't my praise. My purpose isn't my rights. I'm here on this earth right now to declare and demonstrate the power of the gospel through Jesus Christ. And 1 Corinthians 3 is such a convicting passage of scripture where Paul alludes to, though we don't know exactly what it is, standing before God in this judgment seat of Christ where all of our works will go through some sort of fire and they will either come out as gold, silver, and precious stone or wood, hay, and stubble. And hear me on this. If my life is completely dictated by a promotion of myself and about me, and that's my motivation for serving in this church, that's my motivation for encouraging someone, that's my motivation for doing whatever for someone else, it's wood, hay, and stubble. I don't know, we need to see and look in the face of Jesus. Jesus is our example of humility. Jesus is your example of humility. Look at Him. See Him. See again what He's done for you. If you're here today and you've never placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, accept it today as the means of your salvation. Look 
to him. Take our eyes off of ourselves and put it on who Jesus Christ is. Because what Paul gets here is stability is experienced when humility is exercised. We need to look to Jesus this morning. Whatever you're going through, whatever relational rift there is, you need to look to Jesus.